Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Man, it's good to be with you guys. It's been a while since I've been in my studio here. As you probably know from just stuff on Instagram and whatnot, and I've been talking about it a lot, I just got back from nine days of hunting in New Mexico with Dan Staten from Elk Shape. And man, what a crazy, awesome, amazing experience that was. Um, just getting to have a front row seat to learn from Dan uh, about elk hunting and just seeing how hard those guys work and, um, you know, just being in those beautiful landscapes we were in and, and just working super hard for days on end, hanging out with Dan, looking for elk. It was quite an experience that I'm still processing, to be quite honest. Um, it's good to be back home. But it's also kind of hard to readjust to the real world. Uh, so anyway, guys, this week I have a cool episode for you uh, with that I recorded a while back with a guy named Rich Devinney. He's a really interesting guy. He is a former Navy SEAL and member of Navy Special Warfare Development Group, or DevGru. He wrote a book recently called The Attributes, which is about leadership and the attributes that make up a good leader. It's a great book. I recommend you checking it out. I listened to it on Audible, and he actually lives near me, so he came out in person to the studio, and we recorded this together. Uh, I apologize uh, just with getting back from New Mexico and... Um, Deer season starting up soon and, you know, all kinds of family and other work responsibilities. This is not a video podcast for all 10 of you out there watching the YouTube videos. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint, but um, next week we'll be back with a video podcast and there will be much more to come about the elk shape stuff. Uh, as you probably know, I was out there shooting video for Dan, uh, but lots of crazy stuff went down, lots of drama. We want to fill you in on all of that got some amazing content and that's going to be all coming out on the elk shape youtube channel but looking forward to sharing more of that but in the meantime this is a really cool episode with rich Devenny. i hope you guys enjoy it uh, i do want to give a shout out to a couple people who left me reviews um if you're listening hunter jmj caleb Matthewson, shalom matt cg16 fly fishing pastor hit me up uh, send me a DM on Instagram at the Hunter's Quest. I will send you some decals out. I really appreciate those reviews. Uh, I'll ask again. Please go ahead and leave me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, and also please subscribe to the YouTube channel. I still have tons of cool content from my Kodiak trip that I'm working on putting together. I'm going to be going out to Wyoming to shoot a pronghorn antelope hunt in October. That will be coming out, and probably some stuff from this elk shape trip as well. So the verse I want to share with you guys on this episode that I picked for Rich, I'm not sure if I've shared this verse before on the podcast, but either way, it's a really good one. Uh, it kind of has some application for military guys, as well as kind of what we do as backcountry hunters, which I am not comparing hunting to combat at all, but there are some similarities in some of the stuff we do. Again, if you're a veteran, Thank you for your service. I'm not comparing hunting, which is a leisure activity, to being in combat at all. But I think this verse um, kind of is, is good for both worlds. So Psalm 144, Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. 
He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. So that's Psalm 144 verses 1 and 2. And um, yeah, guys, I hope you enjoy this episode. There's a lot of good stuff you can get from Rich, and we will see you on the next one. Welcome to the show, guys. I'm here with um, former Navy SEAL and my guest today, Rich Deviney. Um, and uh, he just wrote an awesome book called The Attributes, and it's really cool because he's actually here in my home studio today. So welcome, man. Yeah, thanks. Good to be good to be in person again. It is, yeah. So this is the first time I've had somebody actually in my podcast room in a while, but it's pretty cool. And we were talking earlier about former guests, an old friend of mine, Bill Rapier, who I guess you guys had some crossover in career there, huh? Yeah, I knew Bill. We were at some of the same commands, so yeah, great guy. Cool, yeah. And, uh, and then I was just asking Rich about Kodiak since uh, I'm going up there this August and uh, did some training, I guess, up there. Yeah. In fact, I think the the teams now do a lot more. I think some of the basic course is up there for cold cold weather up in Kodiak because yeah. um, they have a they have a debt up there that they can they can use. So um, what's so a debt? A detachment. So it's oh, okay. basically yeah, just a, a, a facility there that the that the students can go and, and gotcha. get some cold weather. It's a great place for cold weather training. That's, that's why we use it. So yeah, yeah. And you and he was mentioning that you love being underwater. Well, yeah. I mean, when I you know I wanted to be a pilot. That was what I grew up wanting to be a Navy pilot. My brother, and I have a twin brother, and so we both we both. My dad was a private pilot. We loved aviation. So so I grew up wanting to do that. But then I learned about the SEALs after the first Gulf War. I you know kind of learned about all spec ops and and the SEALs in particular and. And the fact that they, A, could, they were everywhere. They were, you know, desert, jungle, snow. They did all the environments. Sea, air, land. I was like, ooh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but I loved I loved everything about the water. I grew up on the coast in Connecticut. Okay. So, so I just, I am so comfortable. I feel at home underwater, no matter what. I mean, I could be in the pitch black with life teeming around wow. me and yeah. I could fall asleep. I just love it. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was that was one of the things I, that drew me to it. This idea that, you know, we, everything was kind of water, water-based, water-born. So. Nice. Okay. So, so in listening to your book, or maybe it was a podcast you did before, I remember hearing you mention that. And also, I love the part about how you talk about in the book, um, your brain gets a dopamine reward when you decide to move forward in the face of fear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like, and my hunting partner is a former Swick. Okay. And so he he loves spearfishing and stuff like that. Yep. I don't love murky water. <laughs> I'm fine <laughs> with clear yeah, water. Most people, there's a lot of people that don't. So you, you have a good, you have a big, uh, big crowd. To... Yeah, and I'm fine with clear mm-hmm. water, you know, whatever, but... Yeah. Um, like out here in the bay, it freaks me out a little sure, bit. Sure. So, but when I like, as soon as you heard that, I was like, or as soon as I heard that part of your book, I, I texted my my hunting partner. I was like, dude, you're taking me spearfishing. Like, I already got my wetsuit, yep. and like, I just decided I'm doing it because it kind of freaks me out. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting and fear. You know, the, so the, the fear circuit or the courage circuit, really, I talk about in in terms of or in the context of courage. And what's interesting about courage is it's actually a circuit in the brain. Um, and it's actually a couple circuits, right? Cause when we're, when that amygdala, uh, response gets, gets keyed, right. And we're, we're approaching amygdala hijack. Um, we are, we are basically given a neurological choice and it's either fight or flight. Right. And that we've heard about freeze, but, 
But freeze is really, from a neurological aspect, a an oscillation between the two. It's like you're choosing which one. Mm. Um, but the whichever one you choose, whether you choose fight or flight, it's a specific switch circuit in the brain that gets fired. And if you choose to fight, which is step into your fear, you get a dopamine reward for doing that. That circuit switches and you get a dopamine reward, which is by evolutionary design because we were meant to explore, to right. discover, to hunt, to go find food and, and shelter. Uh, so by design as humans, we're, I mean, this is, it's fascinating to me because it's what's taken us from cave dwellers to space explorers. And it's what drives that kind of desire to go seek our edges. Uh, so it's, so it's encouraging. In fact, it's, it, our, our brain circuits encourage, you know, they, they, they allow us to move in courage, right? Um, to know that uh, we're designed to step into our fear to yeah. kind of explore. Um, now, of course, flight sometimes is what we need as well so we can't right. ignore that right so it's not not a good diet if you're if you're in kodiak don't fight a bear that's not a good <laughs> idea you may want to yeah. run um but we can uh, we can tr- we can practice courage by finding those things that give us a little bit of fear and and what's interesting is we don't we can't access that reward system unless we have fear so in other words we've heard it before but it's actually neurologically true courage cannot exist in the absence of fear yeah um and so you have to have a little bit of that to to access that part of your brain yeah and you talk about too about um, you know neuroplasticity and like how when you choose to do something um, like the neural pathways form a myelin yeah. sheath around. The, so anyway, basically it's getting nerdy, but it's a ba- way of saying like the more you practice something, the better you get at it. Right. And retraining your brain is that also the case with you know going into fearful situations? It is. Although we have to understand that the, the you know what happens with something you're afraid of that you consistently step into. So I, I use skydiving as an example for me because I don't like heights. So I love being underwater. I'm not a big fan of heights. Um, and and so if you continually do that over and over, what you're doing is you're, you're inoculating yourself slowly right. to, that, mm. to that, uh, that, that, that fear response. Now, I am not certain how, um, how uh, long-term that type of inoculation last because i haven't skydived i haven't gone skydiving in years now um and i would imagine if i did i'd feel that same trepidation yeah. i wouldn't you know but you know I, I we'd go on jump trips where you do like 50 skydives in a week right and so i mean by day two i'm like i'm fine i'm not i'm not feeling that nervousness anymore because yeah. i'm just in it right um but you know spend some time away from that environment and that sure. will likely come back maybe that's the default i'm not sure yeah um, if i became a professional skydiver and i had like twenty thousand jumps Perhaps then I would have fully inoculated myself, yeah. but um, you know who knows. <laughs> um, well, anyway, before we get too too deep in, I do want to back up a little bit. I first I want to say thanks for coming again. Uh, thank you for your service, man. Um, and um, can you just tell the audience a little bit? I know you can't go into detail um, because of you know confidentiality and stuff like that. Um, but just tell a little bit, as much as you can, about your professional background, and um, just so people know who you are. Yeah, sure. I uh, so I grew up in in Connecticut, and again, like I said, wanted to be a pilot. Learned about the SEALs, and went to went to college, and joined ROTC, and then decided, you know, I want to I want to try for this thing. I try to for BUDS, which is the SEAL basic underwater demolition SEAL training. So I applied for that, got picked up. So in 1996, went to SEAL training out there in San Diego. And um, and got through and spent my next twenty plus years, you know, in the teams. Obviously, very kinetic time frame, you know. So we got to uh, deploy, and I deployed quite a few times to both Iraq and Afghanistan and other places. Um, but also got to run training once I was kind of a little bit 
past midway of my career. Not the basic training, but I was running training assessment selection training for a, one of our specialized SEAL commands. But it um, it really allowed me. It was one of the. I, I loved it because it really allowed me to start exploring some concepts of behavior uh, that I hadn't prior to then, and it it was forcing me. We had to. We were we were faced with an issue of of be uh, doing better at articulating why guys weren't making it through. Um, and yeah. so so that exercise uh, allowed me to really start to dig into this concept of, of elemental behavior and this attributes concept, which ended yeah. up being being the book. So I went through my career, you know, I retired in, in basically, you know, late 16, like, you know, December 31st, you know, uh, 2016. And, uh, and as I got out, I was in the leadership space and talking about leadership, high-performing teams and things like that. And, and I was consistently getting businesses um, and people in business coming to me and asking me about dream teams and the, the teams they mm. were forming and how they were confused because uh, they'd form dream teams, the best people. And uh, they'd go well for a little while, but as soon as things kind of turned sour and, and things didn't go as planned, the teams were typically turning toxic and yeah. and falling apart. And they were asking me why. And this kind of made me think back. It's like, well, it's an easy answer for me is you're, you're, you're picking based on the wrong criteria. You're right. picking based on skills versus attributes. So I realized, well, this is a... I could write a book on this. You know, someone could write a book on this, and so I did. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and there we are. Yeah, it's a great book, man. I picked it up on Audible. Um, let's back up a little bit again and just and just talk about dev group for a second mm-hmm. um so were you can you explain just real quick what dev group is i w- let me see if i can um well i i can i can tell you that it's uh it's a it's a separate um command from some of the regular teams and it's it's really about um research and development of new techniques, tactics, and procedures. Uh, that's what I can say here. And then I'm sure people can probably Google and find out more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally get that, man. Yeah. It's all good. But so were you a member of DevGrew before you stepped into a training role? Uh, right. I was. Yes, that's right. I was okay. a member of that command and then stepped into a training role there. Um, and uh, and yeah, that, and that was what qualified me to be there. Yeah, cool. So... so um, one thing I've heard you talk about, and you mentioned it a little bit in your last uh, answer, but um, while you were in the um, phase of being a coach, how do you, what do you, what's the training, word? I would just say training officer, really. Okay, yeah, training so, officer. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were instrumental in developing a thing called the Mind Gym. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because we were, we were really starting to think about, okay, what, well, we were still, I was certainly thinking about human performance and a couple of people with me thinking about human performance and how could we do, we could be better, faster, stronger, right? And, and our, our ideas, our thought was, hey, we're pretty darn good in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we can, <laughs> we can lift weights, we can run and, and we didn't, you know, and certainly I didn't think that running a mile a minute faster or lifting, you know, a hundred more pounds on the bench was going to really help. Um, so I was always fascinated with, okay, what can the mind do? Mm-hmm. I, th- I, I really felt like, and fortunately, a couple of guys agreed with me that, that the mind was the, was the next evolutionary leap in performance. Yeah. And so we, uh, we began to explore this concept. Luckily, the CEO I had at the time was really supportive and said, yeah, just try stuff. And we just dove into exploring different techniques that were out there to help guys develop a better working relationship with their brain and their, their entire physiology. Because really, ultimately, we are our bodies are, are kind of run by our nervous system. Our nervous system is really the central, you know, uh, hub for all yeah. of our 
activity. Every All of our senses come into our nervous system, then it goes to our brain. Um, but that relationship, could we develop that relationship? So we began to experiment with, with breathing, like mm-hmm. HRV breathing and things like that, um, float tanks to see if we could help you know, do visualization, mental acuity drills. Um, and at the time, it was really just throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall and seeing what stuck and seeing, yeah. you know, getting guys in there and, and practicing and figuring out what was going on. And, and I, admittedly, I don't know how it's evolved. Um, you know, since I left, you know, again, it always depends on the guy taking over, right? The guy in charge is always going to drive whatever the focus is. And I know a couple of folks thought, hey, actually, we don't, we should be better in the gym, right? So, so that, so when that shift focus, when that focus shifts, sometimes you lose a little momentum, but, um, but yeah, hopefully it's doing, it's doing some good work. Uh, I was really interested in though. What was some of the stuff that you found was, um, really helping guys in terms of recovery and mental toughness in that space? Well, I think the 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 most tangible thing that we really dove into was this idea of of sympathetic and parasympathetic relationships with our with our nervous system, and we you know so when we're our our, our systems are either in sympathetic mode or so our autonomic nervous system, which is the the nervous part of our nervous nervous system that runs ninety plus uh, percent of the systems in our in our body. Um, has two sides. It has sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic is actually, it's weird because it sounds like it's the, it's the nice one, but sympathetic system is actually the, the, the system that engages in, in activity, in action activity. Um, and that's like, if you're really, if you're, if you're doing something, even, even as we're having this conversation, we are, our, our nervous system is more sympathetically biased right now. Uh, but certainly in times of challenge, stress, and uncertainty, we are in full sympathetic mode. And if it gets too extreme, that's when our autonomic, or excuse me, our, our amygdala hijack starts to kick in. So, so, so a, 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 a far kind of left, left or right, but a far shift into sympathetic system is starting to produce chemicals in our system like cortisol mm. and adrenaline and things like that. And we all kind of know about cortisol. It's been talked about, you know, quite often in the last decade or so, but cortisol is a, is kind of this action hormone that, that, pumps into our system to 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 get us alert and get us to move right i mean uh it's a it's kind of it it's it's very powerful um it it also though shuts down other things because in a survival mode you know our bodies don't need to worry about for example saliva yeah you know i never knew that about like why your mouth yeah right so 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 our so our 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 mouth gets dry because our body's like well i don't need saliva right now you know so um shuts down some reproductive stuff some you know hair growth nail growth uh in some cases the immunity system the immune system in some cases and in some extreme cases it gets fired up right but but in especially when it's mild cortisol drip um, which just average everyday stress and anxiety can do, you're you're actually degrading your nervous system. So cortisol is there to help us, but it also does a little bit of damage. And so our bodies then, you know, are designed to shift into parasympathetic. Parasympathetic is kind of the rest and digest mode. And that's where mm-hmm. we are kind of calm, peaceful, uh, joy, things like that. Um, and we're producing now DHEA and some other chemicals, but those are rebuilding chemicals. So mm-hmm. we're in fact recovering from, and the DHEA was is designed to kind of rebuild the damage or, or repair the damage. So, so you can, we, you know, we, we can as human beings actually shift more, more, uh, deliberately mm. into those in and out of those two, two mm-hmm. systems, um, just through breathing and visual techniques. Because we think about it when we, sh- when we get stressed and, and anxious and fearful, right? What happens? Well, we have a physiological response. Our breathing rate usually quickens, right. our pupils dilate, things like that, right? 
So that's the so that's sympathetic happening in our body and our physiological physiological response going next, right? Well, what people don't realize is you can you can actually shift your physiological physiological response and then do it the reverse, and that'll yeah. help you come out of sympathetic. So so certain breathing techniques can help you uh, start shifting into parasympathetic. Certain visual techniques, um, and that's when you start getting into recovery and micro recovery moments. Yeah. If you can start to shift that physiology, and we also kind of consider the fact that when we're able to shift that physiology or at least take control of it and come down a little bit off of sympathetic and off of amygdala hijack, our frontal lobe, our conscious mind comes back online more fully. When mm-hmm. we're in amygdala hijack in our brains, our, our, our conscious Survival mind it kind of takes a back seat, right? Yeah. We're thinking without, we're, we're acting without thinking. Right. Not good in times of stress if you actually have to actually have to produce. This is one of the things our police officers are, are suffering, I think, from because they don't have enough training. Mm to effectively operate in stress. They're, they're getting, the amygdala hijack is taking over too fast, right? right. And they're doing things without thinking, um, which is not a good place to be. So, so to control, to be able to control your physiology will allow you to actually more accurately and more effectively make decisions from a conscious state. Yeah. Um, so it's really important. So we, we started experimenting with that and seeing how it works. Some guys really liked it. And and I know it's, I'm certainly a believer, but, yeah. uh, but it's pretty cool stuff. So by, like you're saying, just by practicing things like, um, box breathing, um, visualization stuff that to a lot of guys might seem a little like, you know, fruit or I don't know, like hippie or something, Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever the word is. Yeah. Um, you're actually taking your body and your mind from the sympathetic into the parasympathetic, um, state and, and then you're, you're increasing your recovery rates, um, which ultimately will give you better performance, which is uh, something that guys can do, um, like, you know, in the backcountry on a tough, you know, six, seven day extended hunt, um, kind of maximizing that recovery um, so you can optimally perform for yeah. that week. Yeah. Are there some things like, um, I know you talk a little bit, uh, I've heard before about micro recovery. Yeah. Are there some like, so a lot of my listeners, what we do is, you know, we'll load up packs with camp for a week and hunting stuff yeah. and head off into the mountains and, you know, five, seven days sometimes, you know, sometimes shorter, but sometimes longer too. Um, and you know, while you're there, you know, you might've taken all your vacation time. You've been planning all year for this. You want to perform optimally for that, right. for that time. Um, and it's physically demanding. So are, are there some strategies that you think would, would benefit guys in the, in the back country for micro recovery or even just getting the most out of their recovery periods? Yeah. And, and I think we, just to, just to level the bubble here, I think micro recovery, we should think about in terms of like, um, we're plugging in our our mobile phone for five minutes before we get on the airplane. We're just getting a yeah. little bit of a charge, so we're not running out of battery. Right. But, you know, um, that's what micro recovery is. The true full blown recovery is effective sleep, for example. Sure. Right. That's what we're, you know by design. It's like eight hours of sleep. Um, so you have micro, you have meso, you have macro, or uh, you have macro, meso, micro. Right. So macro would be sleep and things like that. Meso would be those more. You know, you have a couple hours. Right. Maybe you're you need you know. I don't know, yoga, meditation, you know, uh, you know, taking a walk, whatever that is. Um, and then there's micro recovery. That's when you have like five minutes, right? So, um, so what, so I think when we are, um, when we're in parasympathetic mode, right? So our emotions are tied to this, which is interesting and, and can help us gauge a little bit when we're angry, stressed and fearful, we're in sympathetic mode, right? Mm -hmm. That's, and we're producing cortisol when we are joyful, peaceful, calm, 
we are in parasympathetic. Yeah. Okay, and um, you make better decisions when you're in that. Well, you do, but but just but again, we have to. You know, sympathetic's not bad, right? When if we are if right. we are active, right? If we're if we're like stalking or if we're taking a shot, that's sympathetic, right? Yeah. So so we have to understand that sympathetic. Um, the sympathetic system is designed to has it's, like a, it's, like, it's like your action system, right? Yeah. So so. But what you can do is you can actually more effectively enter into sympathetic engagement if you have enough energy that you've stored up, right? right. So parasympathetic is like, hey, I'm going to recover. That's the micro recovery moment. Um, and some would say that flow states, for example, is a, it's almost like a dance in between, yeah. <laughs> you know, where everything is like clicking and it's almost like you're, you're hyper performing. And, and some would say it's a, it's a dance, your, your, your systems are actually modulate shifting back and forth which is really cool yeah um but way too deep for us to get into it certainly me um <laughs> so i think what we have to recognize is that when we're on these longer type endurance events um we can actually think about charging up our 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 human system once in a while just through make sure we're just through experiencing some some peace joy contentment right what's interesting is about you know i think most of the, your listeners would say hey just being out there Mm-hmm. is extraordinarily joyful and peaceful. Sure. So so that's a that's an advantage. It's different than me like being in Iraq or Afghanistan right. and being out there is not I mean the whole <laughs> the whole conduct of being out there is yeah. is hyper vigilance. Right? right. So so I think I think when you're out there and enjoying the na- enjoying nature and I yeah. think one of the things I really respect I don't hunt, right? Um but uh, but one of the things I really respect about those who do hunt and do so responsibly is that most of them are, are deep environmentalists and oh, yeah. and and conservationists huge, and, yeah. and I think that's remarkable um, and and just really powerful. So so the 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 joy of being out there in nature and and loving it and understanding it is is a is a good recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're actually you're actually doing pretty well um, yeah. uh, for yourself. So I'd say as you're on these longer 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 uh, time frame or longer duration events make sure you are enjoying the enjoying the moments Absolutely. right um now in the terms of the micro recoveries yeah you can do hrv breathing is great um box breathing helps box breathing really kind of helps just um even out your system mm-hmm. um in, in what's kind the difference of, between box breathing and hrv breathing well so hrv breathing's separate it's you know hrv is is a uh so the so heart rate variability is, is the is the the distance, the timing between your heart rates, right? So, and and the measure of that is a is a good indication of how ready your nervous system is, how how charged up and ready your nervous system is, right? So, so high HRV, which is I, if I if I get it right, is a is a um, a bigger distance yeah, between more yeah yeah is your your it's it's, a, it's an indicator that your system your your nervous system is actually ready to go to charge up low hrv indicates you're 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 spent and you're not ready to go yeah. uh, to 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 go so so i think hrv breathing are those things that that you can do um so there's you know it's it's a really complex type of breathing and so you can do it there's ways you can do it while you're in an action state but there it's also really good for overall recovery right if you want to just shift Box breathing is a great way to just modulate your breathing because, again, what we have to understand is when we're starting to get stressed and anxious and fearful, our breathing is going to uh, is going to heighten, right, mm-hmm. and become more rapid. Yeah. Um, and so, box breathing allows you to take control of that a little yeah. bit more. What's interesting is I don't know if you uh, into Wim Hof, like Wim Hof breathing. A um, bit. So Wim Hof is the opposite, right? Wim Hof breathing will get you fired up, right? The way he, the way the, so a lot of the techniques he talks about gets you into a like fired up sympathetic state right yeah. which is good sometimes that's how he's like, okay i'm ready for action 
box breathing is kind of in between and then you could do something called co2 blowout breathing which is a modification of box breathing so instead of box breathing where you're going in four hold four exhale four hold on the bottom four um, in this case you'll be going say in four hold four exhale eight mm. hold eight yeah um, because what we have to re- recognize is is the stress and anxiety our system feels um, when when we're, uh, for example, when we're holding our breath or we're doing it, is because of CO2 buildup. It's not because we need more oxygen. It's because yeah. our body has too much CO2. Right. So blowing out CO2 actually helps yeah. recover and relax our system. Yeah. So, uh, and then there's visualization techniques. Uh, there, you know, um, you know, I think any any type of visualization where you're actually visualizing uh, joy, calmness, and contentment will yeah. help. Um, and then visual, actual visual techniques, open gaze, for example, which is this idea that instead of I'm, instead of focusing on something in front of me, I'm actually going soft and noticing my periphery, right? Yeah. That has been proven to start shifting us towards sympathetic, right? Mm-hmm. The open gaze. <clears throat> so you can do that very easily. You can start kind of calming down, um, especially if you're kind of You've been out there for four days, and suddenly you're stalking, and suddenly you're there, right? Now it's time, and you want to take yeah. the shot, and you want to, a couple techniques just to kind of start slowing your system, calming down. Mm-hmm. So you're not really, because I'm sure that in that case, you start feeling yourself like amping up. Yeah. It's okay, well, I don't want to amp up because I don't want to, you know, affect my trigger pull, whatever it is, right? So you can do some of these these little things to, to come down a little bit. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's stuff that guys can do when you're sitting on the glassing knob, like, because like you said, usually it's like, it could be hours of kind of boring and right. then like go 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 you know so take that time to get those micro recoveries in like you're sitting there glassing work on your box breathing visualization um but you naturally went into something i wanted to ask about next which was target panic mm-hmm. which is like a huge thing you know buck fever some guys call it like yeah. for hunters um and i wondered if that is a phenomenon in the military context and if so how that's addressed in training. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it, it absolutely is. The, the only, <clears throat> the, the, the factor that you have in the military that you don't have while hunting, uh, unless you're like, like done um. something wrong, is the, is, is the idea that you, you have someone else who's trying to kill you, right? Um, yeah. Which is a big, a big deal. This is, this is where cops, you know, need more training, right? They, right. Because now, now you have a, a mono mono type situation, right? So, so you, you are amped up to a very high degree because now it's life death, right? right. So, um, but yeah, absolutely. When you get into the moment, you want to try to be as as cogent and as conscious thinking as you possibly can. And so, I think what happens in the military, especially at the high levels like the SEALs, is that first of all, you go through very intense training, and that deselection process um, tends to deselect those folks who can't effectively compartmentalize. Mm. Um, and again, compartmentalization is a uh, is a attribute in the sense that you are able to basically tune out you're able to well i call i kind of separated into three things you are able to assess the relevant information so out right. of everything that's coming in what's relevant to me in this moment <clears throat> forget about the rest out of that out of that list what do i prioritize and then out of that list okay i'm going to focus on whatever's top priority mm-hmm. and then everything else you block out yeah. right that is really important skill especially in those times of high stress and you and you kind of you can't get through SEAL training without being able to do that, right? right. And so it just hyper develops as you as you go through the teams. Um, and so I think uh, I think the ability to to kind of defocus and take away everything else but the moment, um, and then effectively breathe. Um, now, uh, I think in the military because it's so fast, right? And I would say, and again, I don't 
I don't hunt, so so correct me if I'm wrong on this, but with a hunt, I would imagine you are you're stalking up, you get into position, and there's it's a it's a slower paced thing, right? Where you're saying, okay, now I got it, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take this shot, I'm gonna do. Yeah. In the military, it's very fast, it's hyper fast, right? right. You're running into a room, you're right. doing whatever, um, and so <clears throat> in the military, it behooves you to have your system ready to go, have recovered enough. <clears throat> excuse me that that when you're in that moment everything's sympathetic and yeah. you are just you you are acting right everything's conscious thought you're compartmentalizing you're acting i think in in the case of hunting where you're actually on the glass and you're getting ready to to right. take the shot It'd be more of like a sniper type it's more situation. of a sniper type situation right yeah. and and even my snipers would say you know they they would they would they would kind of stop they take have a, a breathing breath, sequence have a breathing sequence they, they you know and and i think routine actually helps i would imagine you would agree with this and the snipers would say this too <clears throat> a routine can help you <clears throat> excuse me get into the proper state right. so that you're ready to take and you can set up that routine uh way before you're actually in the moment right yeah. and so you're clicking in basically into this state of of calm and and and, and kind of ready to go yeah. uh and I think that's the that's the best thing. So 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 just think through those times where you can conserve and recharge, and then when you're in the moment, to the extent you can shift, so you have good conscious thought and click in in a way that that works for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that, uh, like I said, my my hunting partner is former NSW, and so he's always been preaching to me like you know get a breathing routine. Yeah, and um, and it's it helps big time. Um just one more thing on this. So like, um, did like sniper guys, do they, do they ever do any type of training where they will intentionally elevate their heart rate before shooting? Like, you know, do 10 burpees and then like hit a target or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, uh, and, and that's the, the kind of combat courses. You know, we all do that. You kind of run through a combat course because you, in that environment, you're never going to be, I mean, very rarely, uh, going to be taking the shot when you're, you know, nice and calm, and yeah. your heart rate's not going right. <laughs> right. So, uh, so yeah, you 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 try to add in as much fatigue as you can, uh, physical and mental, um, and then and then and then work from there. Sure. Uh, so that's a good training training aid. Yeah. Okay. Um. So you you talk a lot. Are you good? Do you need to go to the restaurant? No, good. Yeah, really good cool. to go. Yeah. Um. We can. Uh, is that Sorry. mine? Or I don't. Is that, I think that might be mine. Yeah, I don't think it's mine. I'm on a vibrator. I'm on airplane mode, though. I'm going to turn airplane mode just in case. Sorry about that. Okay. That sounded like it was coming from over there. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so just briefly, you know, talk about... So that has to be computer. I bet you it's a computer. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how to do it. How to turn it off. Go to the top right. There's a... Uh-huh. Yeah. And then do where do you go from there? Do not disturb. If you go to the top right and click, there should be a do not disturb. the notifications it's definitely me don't see do not disturb though maybe i can just mute it yeah that'll do it check one still getting yep um okay so one thing that you talk about in the book which i thought was interesting was anti-fragility yeah and um for me like my my faith plays a huge part in anti-fragility because like you know i know just my worldview is you know 
it's not my time to go unless God's done with me. Yep. And you know that, you know, obviously I don't do stupid stuff. I'm going to try <laughs> to be safe, but, um, I don't have like a fearful thing cause I know where I'm going right in the end. Right. Um, so does for you or even in the wider, you know, military context with the guys in your program and stuff like that, does spirituality play in, in any way into optimal performance? Um, I would say yes. It depends on the person, right? Um, because, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll break down anti-fragility a little bit. <clears throat> there is resiliency, which is I get knocked off baseline and I am able to get back to baseline, um, get back to kind of where I was before. Um, and that's good. And that's actually necessary for survival. Uh, uh, because if you don't, if you're unable to get back to baseline, you continually kind of degrade as mm. you get hit over and over again. And so you fall into entropy, right? So, but beyond resiliency, something I was always fascinated with and kind of was exploring in the mind gym is this concept of anti-fragility. And, you know, Nassim Tlaib wrote a great book called Anti-Fragile where he talked about the concept. I think it's, I think he was the one who came up with that, that word. Um, but anti-fragility in the recovery sense means when I get knocked off baseline um, and I get back, instead of getting back to baseline, I actually have grown. I've gone stronger, mm. you know. We get the example of this in a very physical sense is the gym, right? When we go lift weights, we are literally tearing our muscles, right. okay? We're, we're, we're tearing them apart, and then we're recovering so that if we allow the appropriate recovery, they're bigger, right? So after they're, they've grown bigger after the pro- process, right? So, uh, so anti-fragility in the life context is can we, get, can we go through challenge, stress, trife, uh, strife, trauma, and then can we come back stronger from mm. it? Um, and so that process involves a couple things. First, it involves um, understanding that you've gone through something, okay, yeah. an acceptance and not a not a, a blocking it out. Then it involves a recovery process, right? And the recovery is the most important part of this because if you don't re- recover properly, you're not going to be able to then learn from what you mm. what you uh, what you've experienced. And so I think the recovery process starts for different people. Might would would likely involve spirituality because the the the, so people ask me, what's the what's the best way to know that you're recovered? Okay, the best way to know you're recovered is that you are able to look at that event and not get emotionally triggered. Mm. You've, you've evened out your emotions. You can look at it objectively, okay? It's only when you can do that that you can actually start to ask some empowering questions about that event so that you may grow. Okay, what did I learn from this? You know, how did I, how can I grow? What are some takeaways? What did I do wrong? What could I do better? Okay, if you try to ask those questions while you're still emotional about it or triggered about the about the event, yeah. you're not going to get the right answers, right? So, so recovery involves getting to that place where you can look at it objectively. And I think, I think for for some, and you probably count yourself in this category, is spirituality helps you do that, right? Yeah. Um, and whatever helps you do that is going to then help you reflectively ask some questions that allow you to grow from the event. Absolutely. Um, what about for you personally? Do you mind if I ask? No, please. Yeah, I, I don't mind at all. I um, personally, I am. I'm probably still trying to figure it out. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I uh, admittedly, I grew up Catholic and I grew up in a religious environment. Um, and then as I as I grew older, I'm kind of a skeptic at heart, and so I began to ask questions that that I wasn't getting satisfying answers for. Mm. Um, and then I left it at that, right? Uh, but then I went to war and, you know, and admittedly for me personally, going to war and experiencing a different culture um, that at least in, in the cases that I, that I, well, in some cases, I love the Middle East and I love the people out there. They're such wonderful people. Yeah. 
obviously other than the people we were fighting. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but when you talk about those people we were fighting, these these folks who um, really to their their innermost degree believe that what they're doing is right. true and right. Right. I mean, there's no. They, these these folks don't believe they're evil, right? They don't. Right. They believe everything they're doing is completely congruent with their belief system, and I think it was that uh, it was that realization for me that that probably uh, added more questions than answers yeah, <laughs> in my head, totally. right? And so so you know, I'm just someone who's who's continually asking some questions about it and, for sure. and trying to figure it out. Yeah, man. So. I guess what, um, you know, maybe it was in, you know, surf torture or maybe it was on the battlefield somewhere like, but what was it you found yourself when you were just rock bottom? Down? Yeah. <laughs> like what were you, what were you falling back on? Um, or where were you going or how were you getting through that? Yeah, I think I was, so I was getting through it in a very elemental level. And I think I don't, I don't, I was doing it without thinking, but as I've deconstructed it after the fact, I'll tell you what it was. Um, the process of getting through extraordinarily tough things uh, involves a process of um, of understanding, attempting to understand the environment and attempting to understand what you can control in that environment. So in the SEALs, you call it control your three-foot world, right? Mm. And what this means is that when you're in an environment of deep challenge, stress, and uncertainty, um, you are first asking yourself, okay, what about this do I understand? All right, and you're thinking, and you're getting some of those answers. And then once you start getting some of those answers, you say, okay, what can I control in the moment? Mm-hmm. Right now, that that answer can be really different depending on the individual and depending on the the, the situation, right? Because because the because what you control, say in Hell Week, you might be like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna control until I get to the next meal. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna get to the next meal. Yeah. That's my that's my new horizon. Okay, and you're gonna move to that. And once you get there. You're going to give yourself. You're, you're, you've automatically set yourself up with a dopamine reward, right? Because the system, the neurological system, rewards us when we accomplish that task. But that that control might be. I'm just going to. I'm going to count to ten right now, and that's all I'm going to do. And when I get to ten, that's yeah. my thing. Or I'm going to take a step, right? And so I think it's this. It's this ability to break your environment down to to small chunks, and those chunks, the sizes of the chunks, are completely subjective to the individual. Um, and then and then move through those, right? So you're basically stepping through slowly those environments. Um, this is what you hear uh, cancer patients do, um, you know, in terms of you know just hey, I'm in chemotherapy and I I was just getting get through that next minute, right? right. I, some of my friends who have who've lost limbs and have you know done had to do some really pretty heinous rehab said I was just living minute to minute in, the, in those yeah. moments, right? Um, now in terms of faith, because I do think it matters. Um, there is uh, there is a faith uh, for for many that says, "Hey, I I know I'm here for a purpose, right? I know I know God's on my side. I know God's got my back, right? And that's phenomenal, right? I think for me, as someone who's still trying to figure out, I could I usually kind of fell back on, "Hey, I know I'm supposed to be here. Yeah. I, I at the end of the day, I'll be okay, right? I, in in buds, the the funny context is, "Hey, I know they can't kill me, <laughs> right? So uh, they're obviously not going to keep me here till I die, yeah. right? So um, so I think there's some there's some uh, there. I, well, I think I know that there's faith involved. I think everybody draws, you know, from different sources. Sure. And I think for me, uh, I was more like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be here, and I'm resolute in the fact that I'm, I'm going to accomplish this goal. You yeah. know, uh, but I tell you, in those true moments of deep challenge, stress, and uncertainty, even that didn't have time to come into my 
yeah. my mind, what, what I had time to come into my mind is what can I control in this moment? Yeah. What do I need to do right now? And then do that. Okay. What's, what's the next now? Okay. What's the next now? Um, and that I think for any human being, if they start to think about environments and chunking it that way, could yeah. be, it, it can be very powerful. And probably a lot in a lot of circumstances in those extreme uh, times, your brain, you're using your amygdala. You're like you're in lizard yeah. brain, survive the next thirty seconds yeah, mode. That's right. Not like frontal. Cortex. Well, and and I think it's a combination, right? Because because I think here's a really, and I'm glad you said that because it tweaked something in my brain. But I think those guys who might quit SEAL training, um, and then immediately afterwards, like what the hell was I thinking? Got amygdala hijacked. Right, mm. they they basically made a decision without thinking about it, mm. um, and I think so. So so again, I think the the SEAL training system and Hell Week and things like that uh, assess and deselect those those of us who, for some odd reason, <laughs> came to the program with the ability to come off of that hijack right. enough so that you're not going to make a decision rashly. Yeah, uh, because man, I, there's so many guys who who I know who've quit and yeah. they're like I. And there's immediate regret. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking, right? In fact, they had uh, they had a rash, they had a problem out there with suicides, guys who mm. who dream their whole lives of being SEALs, and then they get there and they quit, and then they just, they can't take it, right? Yeah. And that's, it's unfortunate. They're doing a lot of, of work, and they, they haven't had any recently, because they really said, hey, we need to fix this problem, which yeah. they did. Um, but yeah, I think that's a case of amygdala hijack, where you make a decision without actually running it through your conscious yeah. filter. So being able to access your frontal lobes your like higher thinking mind mm -hmm. in those horrendous situations is, is a huge plus oh yeah i mean that's where our our decision making our logic decision making comes from our our frontal lobe yeah our emotions come from our limbic yeah and so there's a there's a uh and because emotions are so powerful um emotions that limbic that limbic response can sometimes outpower right, right? we all know when we're upset about something, or even really, really happy, it's hard to think about anything else. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have a, you know, both of us are married. You have a fight with your wife, and it's a bad one, mm. and then you go to work or go do something else. It's like, you're not really productive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're, you're constantly thinking about that, right? right. Um, emotions can, can tamper with uh, and reduce your ability to make conscious decisions. So I think those people who are in professions that require a very important and deliberate decision making um are actually also good at putting aside emotion yeah yeah sometimes and, to, a, to a bad degree yeah <laughs> yeah and interestingly in my context the frontal lobe is where we perceive of god yeah so that's right um yeah being able to access that and whatever you know other long-term goals or you know you may have in those situations um can be huge absolutely um is is spiritual fitness at all talked about in the military context? It's a great question. I, I when I when we were putting together the mind gym, we we were kind of looking at three disciplines: mental, uh, mental, physical, spiritual. Because right. um, we are the way I see it, we are triune beings. Right, and I and I would body. agree with you. The yeah. question is, what does spiritual mean? <laughs> you know, we yeah. we were really uh, it was a real thing for us. We're like, okay, how do we define this spiritual part? Um, and I don't think we ever got there other than to say, well, that's going to be very subjective for the individual. Sure. Um, and um, and so you're absolutely right. I think there's, and this is where science still needs to do some work, right? I mean, what is that, what is, scientifically, what does that mean, right? I'm right. really fascinated with how can we put some science behind that because because we all feel it in, in whatever ways uh, it represents for us. Um, so yeah, the answer is, 
the answer is we considered it, but it, it was just a, it was almost an insurmountable question yeah. for us in the moment. We <laughs> right. kind of, we defaulted, let guys kind of figure it out for themselves. Sure. Because again, if you have something in that spiritual realm that works for you, man, use that. Yeah. Use it because it, it yeah. So it's encouraged, but you didn't really go into detail about that. I guess. We, yeah, we couldn't because yeah, again, you want to be respectful of everybody's different, sure. everybody's spiritual disciplines. You sure. know, right. um, and again, in the military, you have to be really because some people have. You know, I mean, even just the the, the scope of different faiths that you yeah. have, you want to make sure you're respectful of everybody's ability to kind of dance yeah. in whatever faith they want. And then if people are are doing something else that's not religious based or, or that type of thing, then you want to be respectful of that too, as long as it's yeah. not hurting anybody, right? But yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. Um, well, that's cool, man. That's that's interesting. Um, and the the thing too about it is, you know, you know, we guys, you know, we want to be able to explain everything, like yeah. you said, put science behind it. But like some things, like are just not explainable. You, we 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 as human beings, do, we 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 yearn for certainty. Yeah. That's what we do. Our brains are constantly trying to make certain our environment. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and so, regardless of what what's out there to tell us how the hey why did this happen how did it happen yeah um when we don't have those answers we want to we want to have an answer yeah um and so and that's that's where faith comes in man it's like living in that tension right of like believing something but i cannot actually tangibly maybe prove it although some would say you could but you know yeah. what i mean it's i like totally and and, and and this is where the this is where it could be very powerful and it is very powerful for those who are able to metabolize it effectively is that it allows you some comfort and allows you to say okay you know what i'm okay with that Mm-hmm. You know, because I, because this is, this is what I believe about this, you know, I got it and it makes me okay. And you can move on and continue to perform. Yeah. That's really good. I mean, it's a, it's a really powerful tool. Yeah. That's something that me and Bill Rapier talked a lot about. And like this quote that I always stuck in my head is like, I am immortal until God is done with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, moving on from that, um, you know, your book is about attributes and, um, just really briefly, like without going into super detail, just tell guys like why you developed the attributes and just in a nutshell what what that means. Yeah, um, I am I am fascinated with what I call elemental human performance. Okay, and what does that mean? That means what are those things that cause us to behave, uh, especially when it's like the raw us. Okay, because we always hear like the it's it's during times of stress, challenge, uncertainty that the real you shows up, yeah. right? Um, well, I had an, I had a laboratory inside of which I could explore the real you with a lot of people, yeah, right, to cool. include myself, yeah. right? Um, and so the so the attributes are these innate qualities that are inherent, right? We're born with them. Uh, that that rather than direct our behavior like a skill, here's how I'm going to shoot a gun or ride a bike or or yeah. drive a car, they inform how we're going to show up, right? So things like, you know, so we're all born with levels of, adapt- of adaptability, persever- or, um, resilience, you know, situational awareness. Um, th- of course, they develop, they can develop over time, you know, and uh, an experience, but they inform the way we're sh- showing up. So so our levels of resilience and perseverance, for example, inform the way we showed up when we learned how to ride a bike, the skill of riding a bike, and we fell off a dozen times doing yeah. so. They're very hard to assess, measure, and test. They're most visible and visceral during times of challenge, stress, and uncertainty because it's very difficult, if not impossible, to apply a known skill to an unknown environment. So we lean on these attributes. Yeah. And we all have all the attributes. The difference in each one of us are the levels to which we have each. So right. if I take adaptability, 10 is high, 1 is low, I might be a level 8 on adaptability. What that means is that when the environment changes around me outside my control, <clears throat> it's fairly easy for me to roll with the punches, yeah. right? I can roll with it. Someone else might be a level three, which means when the same thing happens to them, it's hard for them. Okay, yeah. there's no judgment on where we fall. If we were to line up a, 
uh, uh, a line of dimmer switches, and each dimmer switch represented each attribute. All of our levels would be different for every human being. And whatever that line looked like, it'd be a jagged line. There's no judgment on where that falls for any of us. It's, it'd be like judging our hair color, okay? Um, it just, it begins to inform ourselves right. on what our engine looks like, why we behave the way we do, why some things are uncomfortable, where other things are pretty pretty easy. Right. Um, and then we can start to say, okay, based on that, what do I want to work on? Mm. Or am I in the light, the right lane, right? So uh, because you can develop an attribute, it just takes self-motivation, self direction and it takes an abil- uh, a willingness to step into discomfort yeah. so that you may test huge. that That's, attribute you need that for growth in any area in any area yeah and so. um that know thyself is, is yeah yeah you know. um real quick so so part of the um attributes are like leadership attributes um which i'm sure you can probably rattle them accountability uh empathy yeah. yep okay. uh, empathy accountability uh decisiveness authenticity and selflessness yeah okay yeah so of course with with my worldview i hear that and um and i I immediately say jesus was like the ultimate like yeah leader of a team before servant leadership was cool or was a thing you know right right have you ever looked at that i I, he's a great example and the reason is this because because when i talk about leadership i say you can't you can't call yourself a leader, okay? Right. You don't. You don't get to do that. It's like calling yourself good-looking or funny, okay? Other people decide <laughs> yeah. whether or not you're a leader. Other people decide whether or not you're someone they want to follow, and it's based on behaviors, okay? The way you behave is what will allow someone to make that decision. Um, and so you look at the way Jesus behaved, and you see why he had followers. You know, um, yeah, maybe only twelve at first, but <laughs> yeah. you know, but because he was, he was, he was a you know kind of out of his time in terms of his behaviors. Right. But um, but these are very elemental behaviors for any human being, and um, and the attributes speak to how we behave. And so and so, if you have a predominance of these attributes, um, that will drive your behavior, and it will allow people to say, actually, yeah, this is someone who I want to follow. This is someone I consider a leader. So I yeah. think I never made the the um, the kind of intellectual comparison like writing, but it's a it's a wonderful one. Yeah, I mean he had um, you know his, his 12 guys, but then he had like a three person core group. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just the, those when you read, when you said those um, you know those leadership attributes, I was just like I mean that as Jesus and back you know back in his context, that was in the day of you know, monarchs and yeah. strong, you know, and there's even a verse where he says, you know, the Gentiles say they, when they're leaders, they lord it over them and like, you right. know, yeah. um, and they weren't leaders. They were just guys in charge. Like that's what drivers. Is. As right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, cause there's a difference between people in charge and, and leaders, right? right? One's a noun and one's a verb. Um, and we all know this, right? Because we know that you can be in a situation where the person in charge hier- in a hierarchical sense you're like, I don't consider that person a leader. Yet the the guy over the water, the gal over the water cooler, who you always go to for advice, right? Yeah. Who has no authority whatsoever in terms of the hierarchy. Uh, the hierarchy, I, I would follow that person into hell and back, right? Yeah. Because of the way they behave. Uh, and so, and this is a perfect perfect analogy for Jesus, right? Yeah. Because this is some guy who just showed up and he's acting in a way and he's behaving in a way and he's speaking in a way that and he has no rank quote rank whatsoever. Right. But people followed him. Yeah. Um, that's important, and that's that's a perfect uh, description of why these behaviors matter. Yeah. So I just think it's cool that um, you know a lot of people just look at Jesus as like a religious figure or a deity or whatever. But actually, if you look at his life and the way he um, led his team, uh, he was an effective leader. So there's you know stuff we can learn there from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And even the Muslims, by the way, they, they look at Jesus. They don't consider him yeah. the son of God, but they consider him He's a prophet, prophet and yeah. a really nice man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. They, they, yeah. So. Um, what would you say, so again, um, I know like in your work context, you guys are kind of like one cycle of darkness, but we as backcountry hunters are usually out there three to seven days. Mm-hmm. Um, what would what would you say would be some key attributes for guys to develop in that context to be able to perform optimally, uh, again, not peak, but optimally uh, for that time period? Yeah, it's a great one. I, I think well, I think all three of the first categories, the grit attributes, the drive attributes, and the mental acuity attributes all play into that that, that environment. Um, and so you have the grit attributes, which are courage, adaptability, perseverance, and resilience. Those are obviously going to come into play uh, because you're going to access and need to access all four of those uh, to some degree. Um, I think the mental acuity attributes, which are situational awareness, compartmentalization, task switching, and learnability, are going to be accessed when you're actually probably in the action in the stalk and probably in the in the shot mm-hmm. when you're taking the shot, right? Because you're actually you're you're that's how our brains function and, and kind of yeah. uh, utilize information to act, right? And I think the drive attributes, which are you know, whereas grit speaks to kind of making it through those short term challenges, drive are the ones that speak to the long term goals, right? So, so in a five day a five day hunt, right? You're now it's a long term thing. So you have self efficacy, which is kind of a it's a it's a combination of confidence, initiative, and optimism, right? Confidence that I know I can do this, initiative that I I'll get started, and then optimism, realistic optimism, say, hey, I'm, I may not have the full picture, but as I go along, I'll figure it out, right? Yeah. So there's a realistic, op- the, the realistic piece of optimism has to exist so that you actually right. plan ahead, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just in la la land. So you have uh, you have self-efficacy, you have. Um, uh, you have open-mindedness, um, which is, um, you know, you have to be, you know, the closed mind is the certain mind. You're not going anywhere if you're yeah. if you're not open-minded. Um, you have discipline, right, which is, again, speak, you have this, you have the discipline, which is kind of holistic discipline I talk about in the book that says, hey, I, I understand that the pathway, there's a, I'm going to, I'm, I'm looking to achieve this thing in the pathway and the, the achievement of that goal, the external world has a say, yeah. right, in that, right? Um, self-discipline is a little bit different. Self-discipline is a, what, this is a goal that when I go to achieve, the external world doesn't really have a, a say in that. That'd be like, I'm going to eat healthy and lose weight, right? The external world has nothing to do with that goal, right? That's all inside of you. Um, so I would imagine it'd be interesting project to kind of think about how those types of hunt hunts uh, may involve both of those right mm. uh, factors. Yeah. However, if you just take discipline holistically, I think discipline, you know, overall discipline is definitely involved. Um, cunning, which is can be pejorative, uh, but really in a in a positive sense means I'm I'm thinking outside the box. I'm yeah. not I'm not bounding myself inside of preconceived or imaginary rules and constraints, yeah. right? Um, really one of the key elements of any Navy SEAL is cunning. Uh, because you're special operator, you're supposed to think outside the box. Um, and then I'm not sure narcissism. I have narcissism as one of the drive um, attributes because narcissism definitely pejorative. Yeah. <laughs> However, but it could give um, you the drive to get that big buck or whatever. That's right. It's it's that it's that <laughs> it's the ability to kind of set audacious goals because you yeah. want to do something special. You want to stand out. You want to you right. want to kind of be recognized and and adored. There's nothing wrong with that if you keep it in check and balance it yeah. and balance it right. Uh, this is where, by the way, I think uh, I think faith. Can help, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially religious faith, I mean, because religious faith, in many ways, um, can help uh, humble us a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And and oh, keep yeah. us keep us 
kind of yeah. in check and <laughs> grounded, you know, especially so, out, you know, in the mountains. Like yeah. It's, yeah. It's easy to stay humble in the mountains. Cause well, and nature, yeah. You. Cause nature does that. So I yeah. love, this is why I love the ocean. The ocean, oh, yeah. the doesn't ocean care. has, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't give anybody any, any, yeah. any pause. Right. I mean, it will kill you if yeah. you are not careful oh, as yeah. will uh, most, most natural environments. Absolutely. So. Probably the ocean quickest of all. Yeah. Um, what time did you need to get on the road? Uh, by 11. So we've got, got another five, okay. five cool, minutes or cool. so. Uh, yeah, I'm just almost done here. Uh, this is great, man. Um, oh, I know you're uh, a law of attraction guy. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think it's really cool, too. I, I even just recently, I was reading something from a famous mule deer hunter called Robbie Denning, who's going to be a guest on here in a couple of weeks. But he, he says something he learned from his old timer guys is, like hunters will see what they expect to see. Yes. So if you go out there with a negative attitude, I'm not going to see anything. Blah, 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 you won't. Yes. If you go out there expecting to see that buck, like your chances of actually doing it are like much higher. Much higher. It yeah. Seems like weird, but what, what do you think about that? I think it's 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 apropos because law of attraction. And again, we could get into the metaphysics of it, which is fine, but you know, not as helpful, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a faith aspect to metaphysics. Totally, yeah. yeah. But just from a neurological aspect, yeah. um, is that you know we have 11 million bits of information coming into our systems, our nervous systems, every second from all five senses. Um, that's going that's going into our nervous systems, and most of it's going to go go up to our brains to some extent. But our nervous systems and our brains are doing a massive amount of mm. filtering because our conscious, our frontal lobes, can only process about twenty five hundred bits mm. per second, right? So, uh, so there's a massive amount of deselection going on as this stuff comes in. Um, when we deliberately place something into our frontal lobe, we say, "I'm going to notice this." Um, what you're doing is you're you're basically telling your system, hey, out of the 11 million bits of stuff coming in per second, notice anything having to do with mm, this, right? Yeah. This is why when we buy a car, suddenly we see the we car see everywhere, them. right? Yeah. Uh, it's not because everybody bought the car at the same time, right? It's because you just told your brain, hey, out of the out of everything that's going on, notice that. Yeah. It tells you to notice things, right? So, so I think the law of attraction from a neurological s- standpoint can be um, at least partially explained by this phenomenon, which we... We decide, we write down a goal, we focus, we we pay attention, we choose, we decide, and we're telling our conscious brains, hey, out of the 11 million bits, notice anything. And so that mm-hmm. will direct our behavior both consciously and unconsciously, right? Um, because again, a lot of what's coming into our systems, we're not even noticing in terms of a conscious aspect. We're not seeing it come in. Yeah. But if we've, if we've, if we've uh, biased our brains, if, we key, if we've kind of uh, tweaked our brains and said, hey, notice it, then we're going to find ourselves behaving in ways that, that take us in that direction, which I think yeah. is a really cool thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So being positive and being intentional about your goals um, can have real implications on, you know, hunting or whatever it may be. And, you know, um, it goes back to like those positive mental reps, even mm-hmm. like building those positive pathways instead of just sitting there having like negative thoughts over and over and your brain is going to default to that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. We can, I mean, our thoughts, our thoughts are something we can control like right now. Yeah. Um, we can take uh, deliberate control and it has massive, massive effect on our, on our outcomes. Right. Yeah. And I'm a big person, a b- big believer in what I call ask better questions because, yeah. you know, we, we, when we place a question into our brain consciously, our brain automatically starts to answer because our brains mm-hmm. are designed to answer questions. 
problem is we do this all the time the wrong way. We say things like, you know, why am I so bad at this? Why does this happen to me? Why can't I ever see that big buck, right? Yeah. Your brain will start to come up <laughs> with answers, right? Oftentimes, they're quite ridiculous. Yeah. But but in, in almost every case, they're disempowering. Yeah. Um, every high performer I've ever experienced, every high performing team makes uh, asking better questions habitual, right? Yeah. So you take charge of that and you say things like, hey, well, how can I get better? You know, what do I need to see? How can I see that big buck? You know, th mm. things like that. Your brain will start to answer those questions as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I realized this back in my high school days, um, and I started doing it. I and mean, I am a big believer that the quality of our lives is directly proportional to the quality of questions we mm. consistently ask ourselves. Yeah. And so, so take charge of your thoughts. It matters. Absolutely matters. It can pay off in the backcountry just by staying positive. And you probably stay out there longer anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. Last, last question. So a lot of, I know you do a lot of work with teams. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of guys go into the backcountry in a two-man team, which yeah. is kind of unique. Um, any tips for two-man teams? Well, team, what's interesting about teams is that uh, is that any group of two or more people working together towards a common goal is a team. That's right. a team, right? So, um, so I think, you know, a two-man team is, you know, a, a great marriage is a great is a, is a, is a, yeah. is a high-performing team, right? Just like a two-man team. Um, so it's really a matter of of understanding each other, and I kind of call it wearing your strengths and weaknesses on your sleeve so you can both effectively support and lean on mm. each other when you need to, yeah. um, really honoring those differences and also honoring some polarities that may exist, right? So so I always joke, my wife and I, um, you know, my I'm naturally patient, right? And she's naturally impatient. That has worked beautifully in our in our 20-year marriage, especially with kids, right? Because, yeah. because when patience is required, I step up and I take lead, yeah. right? When impatience is required, she steps up and takes lead, <laughs> right? Um, and so you can you can actually understand that, that modulation. You can play off each other in yeah. very powerful ways uh, if you understand how the differences can mm. actually mesh. Um, so, so yeah, a two-man team is no different than a 10-man team or, or 10-person team or 20-person team um, because you're two people, you're two or more people working together towards yeah. a common goal or objective. So. so just knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses and how you can play off those and stuff. That's exactly right. Um, all right, cool, man. Um, so uh, just tell people where they can find out more about you and, and check out your book, which I highly recommend. I listen to it on Audible. Um, yeah, tell them where they can find you at. Yeah, well, the best place is, is the website, theattributes.com, and you can find... Uh, the book, you can get the book there, you can get, um, well, I have an assessment tool there, so oh, people cool. can go there and, and take an assessment on the grid attributes, the mental acuity attributes, and the drive attributes, and get a get a readout, get a score on where you fall on each. Now, when you get that score, just recognize, first of all, it's a, it's a self-reflective quiz, so it's the idea is you, you do some self-reflection when right. you're taking it, and then when you get the score, just re recognize it's a comparison to about a thousand other people globally, which sure. means... Okay, you might get this score and you may disagree with it. That's okay. Just take that score and say, okay, does this actually, does this mesh with the context of my experience? And you got to think back and, and right. make it something for you. The real, the real power of the quiz is it, it helps you self-reflect. But sure. that's for free on the, on the website. Cool. Um, and then I have some workbooks there that people, if I want to develop attributes, they can grab those. Oh, nice. Um, and then, yeah, LinkedIn and Instagram, I'm there as well. Cool. So, yeah. All right, man. Well, again, I appreciate your time. Thanks for driving out here and, uh, and thanks for your service. And, uh, yeah, it was a great conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It was good. good nice yeah. drive. Nice to be out here. So, <laughs> all right, man. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to the Hunter's Quest podcast and make sure you stay up to date on social media 
at the Hunter's Quest on Instagram and the Hunter's Quest podcast on Facebook. And we'll have all kinds of photos and videos from my day-to-day, as well as stuff from the awesome guests we're having on here. As always, I'm more than happy to connect with you guys if you have questions about hunting or spiritual stuff or gear, fitness, whatever. Just drop me a line in my DMs or you can email me at hunter at thisishuntersquest.com. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button and leave me a rating and a review. That's really helpful. And don't forget to share with your friends. So stay tuned. Lots of cool stuff in the works. And I'm really excited to continue this quest together.